We are in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 to verse 16 there. I'll just read that passage again, uh, which says, Then children were brought to him, that he might lay, hands, might lay his hands on them and pray. Then children, the disciples, he says, rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Now a study published two years ago by Harvard University, or perhaps three years now, revealed that religion is good for children. The study looked at 5,000 young people. It was a longitudinal study, which means it followed them for about eight years. And it found that children who regularly go to religious services are 12% less likely to suffer from depression, 33% less likely to use illegal drugs, and 18% more likely to report high levels of happiness compared to those who don't attend religious services regularly. So the, the academic experts tell us that religion is good for children, right? And of course we knew that already, right? But as followers of Jesus, we believe there is something even better than religion. And that is a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is offering uh, our kids, and not just our kids, but ourselves, not simply an escape from bad things, but a real relationship with the one true God who met them and loves them deeply. So today what I want to do, take this opportunity, as we give thanks for the life of someone, I want to ask the adults here a simple question. How are you actively helping children God has placed in your life to follow Jesus? Grandparents, how are you doing that? Parents, how are you doing that? And of course, all of us as adults, how are we helping the children God has placed in our lives to follow Jesus? And for boys and girls here, and young people especially, um, I, want to, I want you to think about this question. How are you helping adults in your life to support you in following Jesus? How are you helping adults in your life to support you in following Jesus? Now, to help us answer this question, uh, let us look at that passage we just read in Matthew 19, verse 13 to 16. Because in this passage, Jesus is in Judea. There are large crowds of people that have been following him. So he's been healing, teaching, and fielding questions uh, from people. In fact, he has just fielded a question about divorce. So he's there, large crowds. But unexpectedly, he has also picked up a new fan base, right? The Mums and Tots group, uh, they have come to see Jesus. They want his blessing. And this amazing encounter between the parents and the children with Jesus teaches us some important lessons that helps us to answer those two questions. The first, two, the first lesson this passage teaches us is this. Every child needs Jesus. Every child needs Jesus. Now, we don't know what time or day it is um, in Judea, but the parents have, co have come to see Jesus. And Matthew here tells us that they are bringing kids to Jesus. Look at verse 13 there. The children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. 
Mark, in his account, which we looked at, says they were bringing. And the original language there literally says they kept on bringing. Right? So this is a continuous flow of babies to Jesus. And we know it is babies mostly they're bringing to Jesus because Luke 18, verse 5, the parallel text, calls the children infants. So they are mostly babies with their moms coming to Jesus. And so we can picture the scene, can't we? Jesus is probably sitting outside and in front of him are mothers with crying babies pushing in the line to have Jesus touch their babies. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? I say it's remarkable because when my uh, daughter Abigail was born at Durant Valley Hospital, I remember how unusual and sacred it felt to hold new life in my hands. My wife uh, passed Abigail on to me when she passed her on to me for the first time. The only thought I had in my head is, Chola, be careful now, right? Don't do anything silly. Now is not the time to do one of those silly things you do, right? Be careful. And of course, my um, wife kept on saying, be careful, right? Order this way, order that way, not like that, like this, right? And all of that just multiplied my nervousness um, around our daughter. But of course, it made sense, didn't it? All parents are careful about who they are allowed to get close to their kids. And rightly so. The world is an evil place. We just can't trust everyone with our children. But notice here that these moms not only want Jesus, a stranger to them, to all their children, they are here in large numbers. As I said, Mark says they kept on bringing. And so we have to ask ourselves, why all of a sudden are they trusting Jesus with their babies? Well, because they know, you see, that there is no one like Jesus. They have seen Jesus heal the sick, drive out demons, raise the dead, and they have heard he walks on water. They have heard there is no limit to his power. And like every mother, <laughs> you know, I see my parents uh, at the school gate, you know, they're trying to get their kids there to be something great in life. They want power for their children. Well, it was the same thing at the time in Judea. Like every mother, they want some of that power that Jesus has for their babies. And these parents are teaching us an important truth, aren't they? Every child needs Jesus. What your son needs most is not a better education. It is knowing Christ. Your daughter's greatest need is not excelling in her favorite sport. Our greatest need is to have a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. Why does every child need Jesus? Why does every child need Jesus? Because the Lord Jesus is God who has put on our humanity to give us vow sinners, right? To give us vow sinners a new life with God forever. Our children need Jesus for the same reason all of us need Jesus. They need Jesus because they are sinners just like us. And the only way they can have life with God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God coming down to save sinners. You and I must never forget 
you and I must never forget that our children are sinners. We must never forget that. Every child is a rebel against God at heart. We must never forget that. And so as soon as they know right from wrong, the clock of God's judgment starts ticking. They must urgently get right with God in Christ or perish. They must be born again. They must repent of sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them from everlasting flames of hell. They need Jesus as their Savior. Now, this is not politically correct, and you might say that's the wrong thing to say on the Thanksgiving. None of us likes to think of our children as sinners. But we see here that God in Christ actually has come to be with his children because they need him as Savior and Lord. Every child here this morning needs Jesus. Every child you come into contact with at the place of work, for those teachers here and nursery teachers and needs Jesus. For nurses here, every child you come into contact with needs Jesus. And we have a responsibility, all of us, isn't it? Parents, grandparents, family and friends to escort our children to the arms of Jesus. Like the way these mothers are doing. But the sad truth is that Instead of many of us taking our children to Jesus, many of us stand in their way. And that's the second truth we learn here, isn't it? The first truth is that every child needs Jesus. The second truth is a but. But sometimes we stand in their way. That's the sad truth. Sometimes we stand in the way of our children. Look at that. Look at verse 13 again. The moms have come with high hopes to have Jesus bless their bambinos, isn't it? But to their shock, they eat a bureaucratic war, don't they? Look at verse 13. Then, then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And it should really end there and Jesus blessing them, but there's a problem. The Bible says that the disciples, the apostles, rebuked the people. I'm imagining here Simon the Zealot is in charge of this one. Maybe you might say, I always have a go at him. But I'm imagining he's in charge of this one. And he's saying, look, back up, folks. Back up. Back up a little bit. This is not for kids. <laughs> Jesus hasn't come for kids. This is serious business. We have a kingdom to run. You know, Jesus is not seeing children today. Put them somewhere at the back. I'm imagining he's doing that. And we ask ourselves, why are the disciples behaving like this? Why are they rebuking the people? Well, we are not told why. But my guess is they have put on the uniform, right? And the power has gone to their heads, right? Because if you read through Matthew in chapter 18, we're in chapter 19. In chapter 18, they had been arguing about who was the greatest. And they probably think it's now their job to look after Jesus. And so they are pushing people back. We don't know their motive, but whatever their motive, the behaviors of the apostles is teaching us a very sad lesson, isn't it? Sometimes followers of Jesus prevent children coming to Jesus. Sometimes followers of Jesus prevent children coming to Jesus. 
And so all of us who profess faith in Jesus must ask ourselves, us who profess faith in Jesus, are we guilty of doing this terrible thing with our children? Are you in some way stopping your child coming to Jesus? Think about your home. Are you sowing seeds that will lead your children to want more of Jesus? Or are you planting the seeds of worldly ambition and envy? You see, many parents who claim to be followers of Jesus are more careful about educating their children for this world rather than the world to come. Now, it is right that we give our children the best education that we can give them. The best nanny, or is it nanny or mind that we can find, right? So that they can start off okay in life. But we need to ask ourselves, don't we? What do our children make of their lives if they see their parents value their school or sporting achievements more than life with Jesus? What do they make of them? I think you are inevitably leading them to a sad conclusion that life with Jesus is not important. You are telling them that they don't really need Jesus after all. It does not matter what this church does, how many sermons they hear on church on Sunday. If your priority, you as a parent, is about this world, that's what they'll follow. Children learn what they see, don't they? And in the end, if that's what they're seeing in your life, you are hindering your precious children from coming to Jesus. And you know what? You are shamefully robbing them of true happiness in life. Because you see, our children are not just a pile of DNA. Our children are spiritual beings. Even now, Samuel is a spiritual being. All of our children have a soul inside of them that needs to be satisfied. And only Christ can satisfy that. Education, sports, fame, riches, and all the things that we as parents prioritize in the lives of our children will not bring them lasting fulfillment. That's a sad truth. Giving them your inheritance will not bring them true happiness in life. It is like pouring water into a sieve. It is like feeding a dog sand every day and hoping it will somehow be satisfied. Prioritizing those things is like is killing our children softly. Our children can only be truly happy when their spiritual longings are met by the Lord Jesus Christ. Only life with Jesus can bring them true happiness. Because you see, Jesus is the Son. Without Jesus, no child can ever feel warm inside. Jesus is the light without which our children will always remain in darkness. Jesus is the bread of life, isn't it? Without him, our children will always be starving. Jesus is the true living water. Without him, they'll always be thirsty. No matter what we give them. No matter what we give them. If our children don't have Jesus, they will never be truly happy. There is no peace in life for them. 
without Christ, the Prince of Peace. Oh, what a tragedy it is, isn't it? That we as parents and relatives are living in a way that is turning our children, the children we love, from the way of happiness in Christ. Many of us are not even baptized ourselves. We are not consistent in being with God's people on the Lord's Day. We are not committed in church membership. We are not regular at prayer meetings with our children. Is this, I ask you, beloved, this morning, and thank you, Brother Isaac and Sister Patricia, for this opportunity to pose this important question. I ask you this morning, is this leading our children in the way of peace or leading them in the way of chaos? Is this leading our children in the way of life or the way of death? I think it's leading them in the way of death. Because children see, do what they see. It is putting our children in the arms of Satan than the loving arms of Jesus Christ. And that is terrible, isn't it? Because of the third lesson. The third lesson here, and the reason I emphasize this today is because of the third lesson. The first lesson is every child needs Jesus. Praise the Lord. But there's a problem with us, isn't there? Because sometimes we stand in their way. That's the second truth. And that's a big problem, isn't it? Because of the third truth there. Jesus opposes all who stop children coming to him. Jesus opposes all who stop children coming to him. Let's rejoin the disciples. So the disciples have stopped the babies here coming to Jesus. Do you see how Jesus reacts there? He opposes them, doesn't he? In fact, Mark, in his account, which we looked at, says our Lord Jesus gets very upset. The word Mark uses there is indignant. Matthew here is simply focusing not on the anger of Jesus, but so much on the opposition, the general posture of Jesus. He's opposed to his disciples. Look at verse 14. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. And you have to remember he's saying that with a sense of anger, right? And indignation. So it's not, please let the children come to me. It's like, please let the children come to me and do not hinder them. That's the tone. Now the word here, do not hinder them. Uh, let's go on. He says, do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. I just want to make the point uh, that the word here translated to such is used in the Bible not to compare things, but to identify something. For example, in Hebrews 7, verse 26, we read, For it was indeed fitting that we would have such a high priest, holy, innocent, and stern, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. The writer of Hebrews is not saying Jesus is, is a sort of like a priest. No, he's saying he's the only priest in town. It is him, such a priest. He is the only one. And I think that's the way Jesus is using this word here. Jesus is saying, when he says, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is saying, my kingdom that comes from heaven has come for these children with me. It belongs to them. Not, he's not saying like those who are like children. He's saying to these children. These precious children belong to me. Now, of course, that's astounding, isn't it? Because no one has authority like that over every child, Right? But the Lord Jesus can do that. He can declare any child he desires as his very own. Why? Because Jesus is God. 
Yes, these children are born sinners. And they have not professed true faith in Jesus yet. But Jesus' choice of them, listen to me, Jesus' election, his choosing of them, is prior to their trusting in him. And as God is saying, I have sovereignly and graciously chosen that these children in front of me be mine. Do not stop them coming to me. And because, listen to me, because none of us know which child the Lord has sovereignly chosen to come to him, none of us must discourage any child from following him. Quite the opposite, we must encourage every child we know to trust in Jesus. Because Jesus opposes anyone who discourages children coming to him. The Lord Jesus who by no means spare parents, and I think especially your fathers, who have such high responsibility in the home, who by no means spare them if they are living in a way that opposes children coming to him. And the Lord Jesus who by no means spare the government when it opposes children coming to him. And this truth, I think, is a comfort to us in this society. There is a war being led by the government and other organizations on our children. I say this not as a political statement. It is simple truth. The truth is that the war against our children starts in the womb with the legalized murder of unborn children. When the child... He's not even born yet. The government's legislation, the government, the, the powerful government, the structure is at war against it, against that, that, that child in the womb, when they're completely defenseless. And when, by God's grace, the child is born, he or she is immediately subjected to government indoctrination of our children in our schools with evil ideologies. Our children are being taught the evil worldview that you are nothing more than an evolved animal. Evolution is not a fact. It's a worldview. They are being taught that there is really no creator. They are being taught that there are no binary distinctions between creator and creature. We are all one. We are all just part of nature. And they are being taught that there is no distinction, no binary distinction between sexes. We are all one continuous sexuality. We are all one continuous people. The erasure of gender. The mindfulness being promoted in schools is of course all part of this non-binary ideology. It is all about being one with nature. One with yourself. It is a worldview that is opposed to Romans 1. If you think about Romans 1, Romans 1 says we must make a distinction between the creator and the creature. The new worldview that is sweeping Western society is really has been called the Easternization of the West, which is the erasure of any boundaries. It's a, it's a non-binary world we have now entered. And this is new because this comes from the East. And it has fused itself with 
an evolutionary worldview and combine that with Eastern view of life. And so we see it in science, isn't it? With evolutionary teaching. We see it in sexuality with uh, the getting rid of any binaries. We see it in sports, of course. We are seeing it in the, we'll see it in the future with technology. The removal of the boundary between man and machine, the fusion of AI. Transhumanism is all about erasing the boundaries. And of course we are seeing it with religion, isn't it? The coalescing of different things. The plates, beloved, are moving underneath our feet. Western civilization will never be the same again. Because the boundaries that God has set that has anchored it through Judeo-Christianity have been moved comprehensively. The message our children are hearing in every way, it's so hard for them. Because the children, the message they are hearing is that you define who you are now. Boundaries removed, you see? Not your parents. Certainly not God defines who you are. You set your boundaries. This is how our children are being intoxicated with in our schools. And when they get out of school, of course, I fear it is even worse. Because what do they find? They open their phones and they find that there are no restrictions on the number of violent games they can play. They find that there are no restrictions on the amount of pornography they can download from the internet. Beloved, these things can be prevented in a God-fearing society. It's not destiny, we might say. But the state has turned its weapons on our children to make our children as godless as possible. As I said, I said it's not as... I said the state, I'm not saying any particular party. It's just the society we've got. So children are being encouraged to be godless. And that is even before I mention other things going on in society. Using our children as human shields in the fight against COVID-19 pandemic. Is it not sad that our children are being vaccinated for the benefit of others? Well, if you can justify that in the case of, and this may sound contribution, I apologize, but if you can justify that in the case of vaccinations, it's not too long before you justify pedophilia for the benefit of someone else. Do you see the erasure of boundaries? They are being removed. See, God's purpose is that our early childhood should be full of happy memories. But many children in the UK today will never know a loving and secure life. They will never know that. But this verse is comforting us, isn't it? It's comforting us. Because it is saying that the Lord Jesus says, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. It is saying our Lord Jesus knows and sees anyone who opposes those who oppose our children. He's not blind to it. And we as followers of Jesus, as we think about these issues, must not despair. God has not called us to despair. Rather, we must trust that there will be a final day of judgment. And because there will be a final day of judgment, we must look to Jesus now to keep our children. Every child needs Jesus. And beloved, let's not stand in their way because Jesus opposes all who stop children coming to him. What we must do, therefore, is the final point, isn't it? We must welcome children to Jesus. 
We must welcome children to Jesus. That's the final thing I just want us to see here. The Lord Jesus wants us to bring children to him so that he can shower the spiritual blessings of God on them as he does in this passage. Look at verse 13 there. The children are brought to him that he may lay, might lay his hands on them. And we jump to verse 15. And he laid his hands on them. You know, he doesn't allow the opposition to continue. He continues doing his work that the Father has sent him. And he lays his hands on them and went away. Well, what Matthew is telling us is that Jesus wants us to bring children in our lives to him so that he can work in their lives. And so the question is, how do we do this? How do we bring our children to Jesus? Well, in our church tradition, it starts with thanksgiving. Like what we've had today. When the child is born, we thank God publicly, don't we? As we have that. Look, the world is not going to give thanks for your child. It wants to exploit your child. So it's right that God's people give thanks. It's right that we acknowledge mothers laboring. We acknowledge dads bring up children. That we support them. Beloved, take these opportunities when you have children to public thank God for them. Right? Because as you thank God for them, you are acknowledging God to raise your children and, uh, uh, with the help of Christ and his church. But there's something also as well, in addition to that, you see, the memories of a child beginning their journey among God's people. You know, good photos, sister. Uh, Solange there, so get some photos with Sister Solange, right? <laughs> Which is good to have those photos, isn't it? Of the child coming up here and, 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 and so that as someone is growing up, you know, you can show him some pictures. You know, this is our, you know, this is the Thanksgiving service for you you had in the church, right? So, so all of those memories, they are vital, aren't they? They are vital for the child. That the child is knowing as he's growing up. It's, it's all the means that God is using to draw that child to himself. Beginning in his infancy. And we do all of these things, you see, with Thanksgiving. Knowing that the Lord Jesus has just modeled it for us here. We do not baptize infants, but we do welcome them into the hands of Jesus. So that's where we start, isn't it? And this welcome then must continue as they are growing up in our homes. We must work to consistently and actively lead our children to Christ. And that means creating what I call a Christ-intoxicated home, right? A home where our children will see Jesus in the natural and normal ebb and flow of life, right? You see, our children needs, need to grow up in a home that is saturated with prayer and reading of the Bible. Look, for some of us here, that means changing our priorities in life to get this right. Because they need to be in such a home. A home where the gospel is a step of diet, isn't it? They need to regularly hear that everyone in the home is a sinner saved only by trusting the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Now, if you're not a parent here, there's still much for you also to do. Beginning in this church, there is Sunday school over there. We, we are very much in need of teachers. So, commit yourself to membership. Start teaching. If you're already a member, volunteer. There are teenagers all around the church. Some are not here, but they're enough, you know. You can invite the teenager home for a meal. Welcome that teenager to Jesus. Over my days or something like that. 
You can help plan a, a, a holiday Bible club for children. This Christmas coming out. A lot of the kids have got time. Intensively that week you can get alongside them. Look, there's no one in this fellowship who on judgment day can look Christ in the eye and say the church here didn't give you an opportunity to minister to children. Because even this week, I was being emailed. Uh, I was, I, I've been sent text messages asking when we're going to start the toddler's group. And I'm like, we have no capacity. I'm sorry at present. You see, opportunities abound. And of course, take an interest in a charity like CBRUK that's fighting abortion for, um, but fighting against abortion. Support organizations like the IJM, which is fighting sexual exploitation. All of these things are the way for you to ensure you are welcoming children to Jesus. But I want to end by reminding you this. You can only take your children where you have been as a parent. As an adult. As a parent, you must first make sure you are truly born again. You must make sure you are truly born again. I don't mean that you said the sinner's prayer. I mean you must make sure that you have surrendered truly your life to Jesus. You have admitted you are a sinner who deserves hell. That all the things you do cannot take you to heaven. All your good works are like filthy rags. And then, in recognition of that, you must repent of your sin before God and trust Jesus, as Ray Comfort says, as you trust a parachute. Trust Jesus as your only salvation. What about teenagers here today? Or young people in general, those of you who are not thinking about children at all, right? Well, you must surrender to Jesus now. Friend, become a true Christian. Be born again, dear friend. Don't waste your time. Why wait until you're older? Who says you live that long? Eh? Who says you live that long? You're waiting until you're 20, 25, 30. Who says you make it there? Turn to Jesus now. He wants you now. He's longing to hold you in his hands. You see, there is nothing the world is offering that compares to the loving arms of Jesus. Jesus is offering you his omnipotent arms forever. He has all the power you need to defeat all your fears in this world. He has the power to heal every spiritual and emotional wound. He has power to provide all your needs from his omnipotent hands. And Jesus has omnipresent hands, doesn't he? His arms are able to reach you and keep you in every situation, in every place. He will always be with you. And the Lord Jesus has omniscient arms. The arms that knows all things. They understand your deepest spiritual and emotional attitudes. He is able to feel and measure the dimensions of every inch of your suffering. You can trust him in every situation. He's the only one in this world you can truly trust. Not the pastor. Not even the parents. You could trust, you should trust your parents. But not like Jesus. Not like Jesus. He's truly the only one you can lean on. All the saviors in this world are empty saviors. 
Only the Lord Jesus is a true, caring, tender and powerful shepherd. He's your only hope in life. And so come to Jesus. Don't wait until you're older. Surrender to Jesus today. Don't do it as a tick box. Children, young and old, it's the same thing. Stop deluding yourself. True repent and trust in Jesus. Mean it when you come to him. You won't be heard as simply a box stick. You must mean it. You must lay your heart bare before him. You must cry out to him to save you. And he'll do it. He'll give you a brand new heart. Let Jesus welcome you to himself. And you know what? <laughs> when he does, I mean, he'll hold you to himself. And this is a comfort for us as believers, isn't it? Because as we see those little babies, don't we? You see, that's how Jesus holds us in Christ. He wraps, he has wrapped his hands around us on the cross, isn't it? Because the same arms went to the cross, bled and died on the cross for sinners. And now in Christ, he holds us close to himself in eternal embrace. And no matter what the world brings, we just need to be there like the babies, trusting him and him alone. Well, may the Lord help us to look to Jesus and may he help us to lead our children in our lives to him. Amen.